Fisher, and we back here once again on the Irish in Sweden podcast. And just as I'm pressing record, it struck me, lads. I'd be always sitting here thinking, Jesus, I better tell them what's going on around town, because other than that, how would they know? And then it struck me, I'm sitting here of a Thursday, and I said I'd record a little bit, a few bits and pieces for the podcast, and I realised that the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden had their breakfast this morning at Urban Deli on Sveavegen, and I completely forgot about it. They were meeting there at 8 o'clock until 9 o'clock. Uh, if you go back over recent episodes, there was one there, certainly before Christmas, I can't remember if it was November or December, but I met with Kim Crowland and all the boys and girls down there, and we had a lovely breakfast down there all together, and a good chat, and made some great connections with people from Enterprise Ireland, and the agencies and all sorts of different entrepreneurs and what have you there. And this morning I just forgot about it. And it was one of those things that it, it occurred to me yesterday. I saw it somewhere in passing on their social media. And I said, I must go to that. But if I don't write something down on the cal- calendar, I said, Jesus, you may as well be singing for it, you know. So um, I missed that. My apologies to my good friends and indeed our very generous sponsors there at the Irish Chamber of Commerce in Sweden. I can only promise that I'll give myself a bit of better notice. And I was up and all. I had to drop the car off to get a few lights fixed. But that's a whole other thing that nobody gives a shit about. How are y'all keeping? Busy old week, and that's probably why I forgot everything. I know Chris O'Neill's around here somewhere commentating on handball. I still haven't managed to get to any of the games in the World Championships that are currently going on in Sweden. If you've seen them, I hope you've been enjoying it. I hope you listened to Chris and got a little bit of a sense of uh, what the sport is about. I'm going to try to get to the semi-finals and the final now over the weekend. Uh, but I nipped down to Gothenburg this week, lads. Away down below to the West Coast, so I did. And I had a little chat with somebody down there. Uh, who's part of the music scene down in Gothenburg. So we had a little chat with her, and that'll be coming in in, in the near future, so to speak, because um, there's a load of interviews in the bag now and things going on, which is great. You can really feel that the, the spring is coming, you know. Um, this week's uh, episode, or the, the interview for this week's episode was recorded last week. I'll get into that in a little while, but we'll do the old housekeeping. We'll be uh, the Stockholm Gales, right? The fantastic Stockholm Gales, the wonderful, the attractive and skillful Stockholm Gales are having their annual general meeting here in Stockholm at the Irish Embassy on the 6th of February. Now, I think that's Monday next uh, so, yeah, and of course, as always, they're going to be looking for people to uh, to take part, to join the committee, to be part of subcommittees to deliver what will hopefully be a wonderful tournament at some point during the year in Stockholm, to coach teams, to raise funds, to sponsor teams and that kind of thing. So go along. I was involved there for a very long time. Of course, myself and, and uh, the equally handsome Mr. Colin Courtney were involved in setting up the club. I stepped away a few years ago and uh, they had a brilliant committee last year. Now, I'm not sure that everybody's coming back, so there's always a sort of a, a bit of a churn, as they say in the mobile telephone business, um, people moving on, uh, which is great. In one part, it's in one way, it's kind of sad because if you get a functioning committee, you kind of want to keep everybody together and keep things ticking over and build on that. But you know, people are having children and they're getting married and they're moving to Dubai and Australia and they're doing all these things. Life gets in the way, so you're always looking for people in committees, and that's not just for the Gales. It's for Malmo GAA, it's for Gothenburg GAA, Lulio, the Swedish Irish Society, Spuds and Sill. This whole thing works on volunteers, right? I usually say this is a community podcast. It exists because you do. And all of these are community organizations in their own way. And they exist because you do. And the only way they can continue to exist is if we all get involved and do our little bit. Um, The Swedes talk about uh, bringing your little bit of straw to the haystack. And that's kind of what you're looking for. So if you have the opportunity to be able to get involved in those kinds of things, please do. Uh, As I say, the Gales will be happy to see you turning up on February the 6th in the Irish Embassy for their AGM and they will go through the accounts and see where all the money was spent etc etc and it was a good old year for the Gales now maybe not the best 
the results, but as I said, the club was back on a very, very sound footing in terms of the committee. So get involved there if you can. I know that Spuds and Sill were having auditions above here in Stockholm for their next production. Now, it completely slipped my mind what it is, but uh, it's the, all, always, always, always their productions are extremely high quality and very much get, worth getting involved in. And I think, if I remember rightly, they were looking for people to send in videos themselves. But you're looking, if you want to get involved in amateur theatre here in Stockholm, or indeed if you want to bring so- Spuds and Seal for a night or two nights or a five-night run on Broadway, sure, feel free. Get in touch with them. You'll find them all there on Facebook and such like. Uh, we are, of course, talking ahead of... Uh, St Bridges Day which is going to be coming up soon enough and I know last year that there was a discussion that was organised by the Embassy and a few others uh, around women in STEM so that's science, technology, mathematics that kind of thing uh, now I wasn't able to attend that one unfortunately but I do know that uh, I think it was Hazel from the Gales was involved there as well she's very heavily involved in research and science here I'm sure they're going to be doing something there so keep an eye out on their socials keep an eye out in general around that I wish I could bring you more details but uh, I keep meeting myself coming back I'm so busy this weather so I couldn't dig them all up for you before we go and there's another event coming up now you'll need to check the date on this one right I think it's coming up uh, on a Saturday in the near future it might be the Saturday before the Gales or after the Gales have their AGM right but it's a sort of a bring a book take a book thing with breakfast that's going on at Veerstrom's pub right so you can go down there Martin Hessian a wonderful sponsor of this podcast since the very beginning and a wonderful supporter uh, throughout the years he will be sticking on a fry there so I don't know what it costs it'll cost you a few bob to get an old fry sure there'll be sausages there'll be rashers it's worth any amount of money to be getting those things served on a Saturday morning, especially if you've been enjoying pints or, or craft beers in Veerson's Pub the night before. Um, now, the thing is, right, bring a few books with you, right? Don't bring all the books you're trying to get rid of, right? Don't br- bring the book that you brought to the Sommerstuga or that you brought to Greece or, or to the Algarve Coast or whatever, and it was shite, and you didn't read the rest of it, and you can't be arsed reading the rest of it, so you're just trying to get shut of it, right? Try to bring books that some other human being living in Stockholm is going to want to read, right? And the other thing is, you're going to have to bring a few home with you lads, right? Because otherwise Martin Hessian is going to be left with a whole lot of books in this pub, or the Swedish-Irish Society are going to be left with a whole lot of books for, for wherever, going back to wherever they live. And your lads, they don't have the time to be reading that. They're too busy organising other events and pulling points and looking after the likes of you and me, right? So do be prepared uh, if you're going to be going to that, that you have to take a few books home with you as well. I'd say it's going to be a great event. There's been a few of these in the past around Christmas time and just dropped in the middle of the year and that kind of thing. And they do tend to be really, really good. And it tends to be a fairly erudite bunch, a fairly well-read bunch uh, who turn up to these things as well. So there does tend to be very good uh, books on offer there. I Actually, I have a shed load of books myself. If anybody wants to get in touch, actually, right, I have this thing when I'm going abroad, right, that I always bring, like, a physical, I always try to bring a physical book on the plane just to keep myself entertained because... Uh, uh, yeah, if I'm not entertained, the devil makes work for idle hands, boys and girls. So I always buy a book, and I was buying for years. I was buying those. Um, what's your man's name? Is it Lee Child? The Jack Reacher books, right? And the only reason I got involved in it is because they had the premiere of the film here, and I ended up working at it one day. I had to interview Tom Cruise of all people, and I said, "Jeez, I better read the book that the film is based on." And I kind of got into them because they're they're just they're interesting books. But I have a whole heap of them now, and I'd never read a book twice. You'd be lucky enough to get me to read it at once, right? So if anybody's looking for a few of those books in English, you might have moved over recently or whatever and you're getting yourself settled down you might want something to do for the rest of the winter get in touch I have a few of them there I can meet you in Stockholm or I can stick them in an old bag and send them off down to you in Gothenburg or above in Lulio free to a good home because I'm not 100% sure that I'll make that Swedish Irish Society event right 
this week, what goes better with a bit of an old book or a bit of an old sitting in front of the telly or watching a bit of the Gia on the telly on GA Go when you're watching the club final and Kilmacud Croaks have 27 fellas on the goal line for a 45 than a nice cup of coffee? Boys and girls, we're all raised with the tea. I know that. Don't start raising your objections now, going, you coming in here with your notions about coffee and everything else like that. Recently, I went out to Rinda. Okay, and I was visiting Mutley and Jack's coffee out there. Jack Ryan is living out in the archipelago, moved over to Sweden, was working with Greenpeace and set up a business grinding his own coffee, right? Sourcing coffee around the world in all sorts of magical and wonderful places in the highlands here and the lowlands there, importing it to Sweden, grinding it and selling it, right? Now, that's that's basically everything. But we had a tremendous chat out there about the whole, the purpose of what he's doing, how he ended up, what he's doing, the art to it. And sure, Jesus, we even had a cup ourselves in the middle of the whole thing and we had a great time all together. Now, you may be thinking, I've said a whole lot about Jack and very little about Mutley. Mutley will be introduced to you. Uh, Mutley is the head of marketing. You'll find out more about him as we go. But for now... Um, Let's get into the little conversation that we had with Jack out there and you will find him. I'll come back to you with a little bit of information about where you can find him and where you can find his stuff and why you should go and find it as well. So here he is now, Jack out in Rinda and he grinded the beans. Can you start just by describing exactly where we are for the listeners? We're in the Stockholm Archipelago, more exactly on an island called Rinde, which is uh, part of Vaxholm's yeah. area. It's about 25 kilometers from the city center as the crow flies, yeah. um, but it, because it's an island, you have to go a little bit of a roundabout way, so maybe about 40 kilometers driving. Got a bit of a shock, I have to say, when I was sort of approaching. Just went through Vaxhall, I was going, oh, that's great. I'll be there in no time. I'll be there a bit early. And all of a sudden, there was a ferry thrown into the mix there, which I wasn't really expecting. <laughs> I wondered if I should warn you about it or if I just thought, oh, you'll figure it out or Google Maps will figure it out for you. Anyway. You're, you're driving and you're going, it still says like I'll be there two minutes past. What the hell is the matter with this thing? I'm driving like a maniac and then you get to the ferry and you go, oh, that's why. Yeah. How long have you been out in this part of the world? Uh, in Sweden, I came first in 2007. Okay. Which, oh, in my head, that sounds like it's about 16 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, th- I came, I worked with Greenpeace at the time and they said, we have this project in Sweden. Would you be interested in going there for a year? And I said, Sweden sounds interesting, but a year sounds like an awful long time. Uh, Shall we say six months and then we'll we'll see after. And then after six months, I was like, ah, sure, we'll we'll do the full year. Mm. And then, so the end of 2007, then the year was kind of up and the economy in Ireland was just crashing. And I think, let's make it another year here. All of a sudden, you were fairly interested in staying here. Um, so it wasn't love at first sight with Sweden. I thought it was very nice. Mm. Uh, but it was a slow burn. And I think after two years, when it was time to go again, I was like, actually, you know what? Let's make it one more year. And then after three years, I was, I was fairly settled. Yeah. So after five years, then I applied for dual citizenship. So I could just be a bit more active. Yeah part of society so yeah and was it always out here in the archipelago or did you live sort of downtown in the beginning when you were working with Greenpeace so about eight years ago I started uh, thinking about setting up a business uh, and that's when I started to look for premises and I'd never heard of Rinda out here I'd been out to visit the archipelago before Mm. 
Um, but now I was city centre, Stockholm city centre based yeah. for for most of that time. And then the last six years, I've been out here a lot. And do you live close by where we're where we are at the moment? As of late last year, yes. Um, so just on the other side, I'm looking out the window here at the Baltic Sea. And this is the Oxyupid where the the ferries that go in and out from Stockholm to Helsinki pass by. Yeah. You might see some of them or feel some of them as they vibrate past a little bit later. But just on the other side of the water, you can see through the window here yeah. uh, is Varmda. Oh, right. Uh, so I live on that island now. And is that easy to get to from here? Like, I mean, can you drive here in the morning or do you have to get a boat? You could almost swim. <laughs> uh, if you're that way inclined. Where I live, again, as the crow flies, is about a kilometre and a half. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a boat yet. Um, <laughs> but I think when the weather gets better, uh, I might see if I can uh, scrape together. <laughs> row, row your way across every um, water. <laughs> because the way the, the roads are, are, are lying, it still takes about 15 to 20 minutes to get to the ferry. Even though looking on a map, it looks like a, you've gone 359 degrees of a circle. Yeah. Uh, to, to get to the ferry, but it's a it's a big improvement. When I was in the city centre, or Lily Holman is where I lived before. Yeah, uh, that took about forty five minutes uh, door to door mm. if you know, timed it right with the ferries. Uh, so twenty minutes is a big improvement on that. But forty five minutes wasn't too bad anyway. Oh, yeah. Tell us about the business that just started out here, because like a lot of people come over here, maybe they don't work for Greenpeace, and they start maybe an Irish pub, or you know, they get into restaurant business, or maybe they get into construction. You're roasting coffee on an island in the Stockholm archipelago, which is about the most challenging thing I can imagine trying to do. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the plan all along, um, but that's, that's sort of what, what happened. Um, how did this happen? Okay, exactly. Let, let's start with the coffee thing, because yeah. that's like, is this something that you discovered on your travels with Greenpeace? Is it something you discovered in the cafes of Souther? What got you going on that? I was always a tea drinker growing up in Ireland, and coffee... Barry, Barry's or Lions, we have to ask. It was Barry's. Good man, you're <laughs> And uh, coffee was something that I started to drink in college, a little bit more, you know, mm. for the scene. Uh, and also, if you had to stay up all night to do an all-nighter on an essay. Uh, but it was a necessary evil, really, and mm. I never thought it tasted very nice. And being in Stockholm, I kept in touch with the Irish news and was reading all these stories about these new-style cafes and roasteries that were opening up in Ireland, mm. inspired by the Scandinavian coffee. And I thought, huh, the Scandinavian coffee isn't that great. At least it's not so great in the office that I was working in yeah, at the yeah. time. Uh, and I read about places like, like 3FE and um, a few other third wave roasters, as they'd be called. And so the next time I was back in Dublin, I got a hold of this third wave coffee map of Dublin. And I just drank my way from coffee bar to coffee bar. And I remember that first coffee that was this speciality light roasted so-called Scandinavian style coffee I had. It was like a revelation. It was a, a coffee from Kenya and it was very tea-like. Uh, it was okay. juicy and fruity and tasted like black currants uh, and was nothing like this necessary evil that I had remembered and it was nothing like the average coffee I was drinking in Sweden, to yeah. be honest. And so the rabbit hole opened up in front of me and I started to... You dived out <laughs> Then I discovered that there were actually some cafes like this in Stockholm as well. Mm. So I went and I found them 
And I was like, if coffee tastes like this, then this is all I want to drink. Yeah. And um, it has more uh, aromas and flavor profiles than you find in wine or in chocolate. Very easy to roast this away if you go with a dark roast. Everything will taste the same. But approach each coffee uniquely and try and sort of chip away at it and roast it in the way that it allows it to shine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can really taste the difference between uh, Ethiopian high-grown coffee or a Central American coffee from Honduras or Nicaragua. And you can really taste the difference in the same way that people who, who know wine can tell you instantly the difference between, I don't know wine, but let's say. <laughs> between two different wines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for somebody who grew, up, who grew up essentially with a choice of two things, which would be Barry's or Lions, yeah. how do you learn about that now? Because you've already gone sort of, you've already taken us deep down the rabbit hole in terms of Ethiopian high ground coffee and how different that is yeah. from other things. So, you know, is there is there coffee college? Do you just sit there and listen to some hipster banging on endlessly about it? Is it the internet? How do you, how do you educate yourself about coffee? Well, first I just started brewing coffees at home, buying different coffees, and I was like, yeah, this tastes different from this, and that was the very basic education just through exposure. Mm. Uh, But in terms of deciding I was going to work with this and learning what I needed to learn, it was fantastic to be naive at the beginning. Was it, yeah. Because I thought to myself, yeah, I can learn how to roast coffee. I'm sure it's difficult, but, you know... How hard can it be? It can't be that difficult. (laughs) Uh, And, you, you know, you see that steep learning curve up in front of you and you approach it vigorously and you get up and you're like, I must be near the top of this learning curve now. And you see, wow, it goes so much further. (laughs) But then you're like, well, I've invested so much time, energy and money in educating myself this far. I can't go back down. I have to keep going. Uh, And so it was good to be naive because if I knew how much there was to learn at the beginning, I probably never would have started. It's like Van Morrison says, too late to stop now. (laughs) So there is no university, uh, at least there's not here in Europe. Believe it or not, there is a university in California, Davis University, who have modules on on coffee. And they started off, I think, with wine and they have developed into that. But that that wasn't an option for me. So I kind of tailor-made by going to different workshops and different courses and... uh, shadowing some kind roasters who allowed me to come and stay on their roasteries for a week at a time and learn what they were doing and then just learn by asking silly questions. Um, Here in Sweden then I was able to go and find some nice roasters who allowed me to roast on their machines and learn from them and perhaps most, uh, I don't know if this is naive, it's just gumption maybe but I just decided after a few months, I'm going to enter the, the Swedish Coffee Roasting Championship. Good man yourself. <laughs> uh, a little bit like sink or swim. Yeah. Uh, I'm the sort of person who gets motivated. I've set myself an enormous challenge. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I really need to accelerate the learning now. I've mm. got three months until this championship. So I decided the only goal I have with this, and this was back in 2000 and. 17, uh, so it was my first year of roasting, I, I said, uh, I'll just learn everything I can and my only goal is to not embarrass the hell out of myself. <laughs> uh, so I, I went along to this and it was three days of, of roasting for a competition and uh, I came second place actually. Uh, so 
I had some good teachers who were very kind and shared me their knowledge and some of them who had been through competitions before who yeah. were able to give me some, some good insights and tips on yeah. how to do well at a competition. I'm, I'm sure that surprised you when it got all second place. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> you just had to go, who, who me? Yeah. <laughs> Trying not to look too shocked as if you shouldn't be there. Yeah. God almighty. And did that sort of, had you started the business at that point? Were you already in business or was this just a sort of the proof of concept to go, hang on a second, I'm actually really good at this? It was very early on. Uh, I think I had started, uh, actually I hadn't launched the company. I had bought in some of the supplies I needed and I was... Uh, puzzling it out and I was roasting on a, a colleague's roaster. Mm. I say colleagues rather than competitors because I think <laughs> in speciality coffee we're all colleagues really. Is that how it works? There's no sort of cutthroat competition like there would be in the supermarket yeah, shelves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so no, I hadn't started yet. Um, so it was a nice way to launch. I actually started roasting under the, the Mutlin Jacks brand then a couple of months after that. Mm. Uh, for those, you may be able to hear him in the background, you may not. Mutley is, what breed of dog is Mutley? Mutley is a Boston Terrier. A Boston Terrier who is sort of snoring in the background, looking at the window at the, uh, at the ferries go by and keeping yeah. an eye on things here. He's, is he head of security here at the roastery as well? He's he? head of marketing. Head, head of, of marketing, okay. Yeah. Head, of, head of cuteness. So. I was just wondering, he <laughs> does very little work, so he does strike me as a head of marketing, all right. But, uh, Today he's staring out the window, all right, so maybe he's just doing his, his brainstorming. He has a, a lovely little position out there. Um, take me through the bay because we're here. Is this is this it? Is everything in this room the roastery, so to speak? Yeah, I have one little storeroom out there, and that's um, just your bags of beans or whatever. No, actually, all the coffee beans are here. Okay, they like it in this room, which is a little bit chillier. Yeah, if the roaster is not going. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the other one is just storage. I have this coffee bike that I use for some pop up events and oh, cool. a little bit of packaging. Yeah, but yeah, the room that we're in now it's about sixty square meters. Yeah. Uh, in an old military building uh, from 105 years ago. Uh, and this is it, just one room. It's got one man, one room. One man, one dog, one room. Yeah. <laughs> one vision, that's yeah. it. Um, the machine here in front of us, it's just uh, behind where Mutley is sitting looking out the window there. It's quite a large machine. Uh, you can see there's a sort of a hop on the top of it there. I'm assuming that's where you throw your beans in. Yeah. So it's about as tall as I am, so about 190 centimetres, or just over six feet. Yeah. And uh, it goes back from where I'm standing about a metre and a half. Mm -hmm. So the footprint is about, yeah, nearly a metre wide by nearly two metres deep. Yeah. And the technology in it, it's a little bit like a tumble dryer or a washing machine drum. Okay. That's housed inside this cast iron square. Yeah. And uh, it spins around, and it's heated by gas flames that heat it from underneath. Okay. And uh, is that like, you know, calorie-causing gas bottles that you have to get in? Those, what do you call them? I can't yeah. remember what they call them in Swedish. Outside, on the other side of this window to my left, there is a, a security cupboard with four big, uh, they're called P19, uh, gas yeah. bottles. Uh, and you need to have at least two of them plugged in at the same time to get the optimum pressure of yeah. gas coming in. Uh, and then it's fed in through this copper pipe at the back. Uh, and then you can light it. And it takes, because it's cast iron, it takes the guts of an hour to heat up. Yeah. But you're quite right, this hopper on the top is when you're ready, you release your green coffee beans into this. Mm-hmm. You spin them around. You can control how fast this drum is spinning, how much gas you're giving from like 1% to 100% gas on the flame. Mm-hmm. And you can control how much air is going through. And... 
even though I would consider myself a slow roaster, mm-hmm. maybe in the sort of slow food way, yeah. uh, a lot of people are surprised that the average roast time is only around about 10 minutes. Is that all, yeah? It's a five kilo roaster, so it takes about yeah, nine to 11 minutes to roast a batch, and then you open this one and it cools down in this big cooling tray. Yeah. And does that, the cooling tray, does that sort of rotate as, as they're cooling down or do, do, do they just sit there? Yeah, so they will be rotated. I'll turn this one on. Yeah. Uh, you'll see the arms are spinning there. It's all quite gentle in its own way, isn't it? It pulls in air from the room here, mm-hmm. so it pulls air through them to cool them down to room temperature within three or four minutes. Mm-hmm. You want to stop roasting as soon as you've left them out of the roaster so that you've, you've basically, you've roasted them and then you stop. Yeah. If you allow that heat to sort of remain, it's good in, in, in cooking if you're if you're cooking meat or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. Uh, but in roasting coffee, it kind of takes a little bit of the spark uh, yeah. out of the flavor and they can be a little flat. Yeah, it kind of overdoes it a little bit. Are they very sensitive? You mentioned there that the beans are more sort of, you know, we're looking at a whole bunch of pallets of beans here that they prefer the, sort of the slightly chillier conditions in this room compared to the storage room. Are they very sensitive? Like, and Because I'm thinking these things have to be brought all the way here from maybe the highlands of Ethiopia or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or can you sort of, you know, mistreat them and, you know, it's really when the, the roasting process starts that they become sensitive. You can get different grades of quality in coffee. Mm-hmm. Now, theoretically, everything can be graded and come out with points from zero points to 100 points, yeah. theoretically. And you give points for qualities that are positive, like juicy acidity or a nice sweet aftertaste mm-hmm. or a nice creamy body. Uh, you'll add all of these things up according to a formula and if you get over 80 points it's considered to be specialty okay and this is governed by a global body called the specialty coffee association Mm -hmm. Uh, and the ones that are scoring high like this they can be damaged in transport Mm. Uh, these sacks here are lined with a breathable plastic called grain pro inside the traditional jute sack that uh, stops any moisture getting in uh, or getting out actually so the worst thing I suppose that can happen to coffee under transport or before it's roasted is either that it soaks in some water mm-hmm. and then it's at risk of going moldy or that it dries out and then it's at risk of tasting a little bit woody when yeah, it comes yeah. to roasting. Yeah. So you do want to keep the moisture fairly constant. So that's why it's nice to have it fairly cool mm-hmm. and a humidity level of around like 50 to 70%. Mm-hmm. Now this roastery is not uh, climate controlled. Mm-hmm but it's north-facing, it's an old building, it's not particularly warm. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I order small quantities uh, fairly frequently rather mm. than having large amounts arrive that might dry out. So. Sitting around here and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, is, is it a risk every time you go to buy a sack of these beans? I can't imagine they're that cheap. But you know, how do you know that when you order a sack of beans, that like, oh, they're not going to be woolly or they're not going to be mouldy when you take them out of the bag? Is there sort of you know, trusted suppliers that you know you're going to get the right stuff from? Yeah. One of the drawbacks about being a small roaster is that direct trade, and by direct I mean very direct. You make a from deal the farmer, with the farmer, the farmer puts them on a ship and you receive them. Mm. Uh, that I'm too small to do that because I can't feel yes, contained. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, So I work with uh, what's called assisted direct trade. So Mm -hmm. there are some green coffee importers in this part of the world who work with small roasters like me. And their job, uh, the reason they exist is they go out and they're the ones who maintain the contact with the farmers. Mm -hmm. I'll join them maybe once or twice per year. But they're working with 
oh, 20 or 100 small roasters around Scandinavia and Europe, and they are taking care of all of the logistics. Uh, and if something would be defective when it arrives here, then I'll take it up with them, and yeah. there is some sort of guarantee. That, that's going uh, to work out, like, yeah? Yeah, it's rare, though. Yeah, that's something we'll go around. Yeah. You mentioned your background in Greenpeace a little bit earlier on, so I'm guessing that the environmental aspect of things is important to you. And one of the things that also gets brought up, you'll see it in the supermarkets now, is this idea of fair trade. Mm-hmm. Um, how important to you is it that these things are done in a sustainable fashion and that farmers get properly paid? Because you often find that the first, you know, as soon as you become a businessman, you go, yeah, that's all well and good, but I have to make money here. You know? So is it possible to balance all these things in your business? I think it is. And it's part of the part of the brand identity yeah. um, that we do want to tread as lightly as possible on the planet mm-hmm. when it comes to the environmental and the social impact uh, or negative social impact. We want to tread heavily if there's positive. <laughs> yeah. social if it's doing good things, work away. Yeah. Um, but my background, yeah, was in nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And I'd had other ideas for different businesses that got my fingers itching over the years, and I would think them through to a certain point. I'm like, ah, well, there's the problem. This mm-hmm. is going to screw over the environment, or it's going to screw over somebody in this developing country in yeah. order for my business model to work. And then with coffee, I thought, hmm, let me see how long it takes me until I get to that point. Mm-hmm. And I realized that if you do coffee in a particular way, then it can have a positive impact or at least a, a very low negative impact mm. on environment and positive impact on people. Mm. Uh, and I said, well, yeah, that's the sort of coffee that I want to work with. Uh, fair trade is better than nothing. Mm. It's linked to the commodities market price. So you sometimes hear about coffee futures, or you'll see little tickers that go up and down with the price of coffee arabica on the New York uh, commodities market today was such and such. Uh, and that price is, is very low. If you pay the, the New York commodities market price for coffee, uh, you're not really even covering the cost of production for the farmers. Yeah. Uh, so that's been a bit of a poverty trap. Uh, and the fair trade price guarantees farmers whatever that commodities market price is, mm-hmm. plus a certain premium. It might okay. be plus a certain percent or plus one dollar or, or something. Uh, but it still ebbs and flows with whatever the, the market uh, price is doing. Yeah. Uh, direct trade, I think, is a step better than that because it's a direct agreement between the farmer. Mm. It's based not on some computer program in the New York commodities market, but it's based on the cost of production for that particular farmer, Mm. and it's based on the quality of that coffee. So they they will taste their own coffees, they will make improvements based on on feedback, uh, and the quality that they produce generally rises year after year after year, and the price that they can agree with a roaster like Mm. me or these green coffee importers goes up and up. Uh, and it's usually, I would say, at least double whatever the commodities market price is. That, that much, yeah. And often three or four times the price. Wow. So yeah, a, a bag, a sack of coffee like, like this, a, a 69 kilo bag from Guatemala would cost the guts of a thousand euros. 
So people say that, God, this coffee that I'm selling is much more expensive than the coffee in the supermarket. And like it is, uh, <laughs> it's much more expensive before I even do anything to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when it gets here. But, you know, it's, it's a bit like people are, are, are used to the fact that different wines can cost mm. different amounts based on the quality. Or they don't expect uh, a two-star hotel to cost the same as a five-star hotel. Yeah. Uh, but that thinking hasn't quite arrived in, in coffee yeah. yet. My, my wife, her parents are from out the country here in Sweden, maybe 60 kilometres north of Stockholm. And it was always the case that when you get these reclame blood that they put into your letterbox every week, you know, from the supermarkets, mm. oh, these are the cheap deals this week, you know. Yeah. And one of the things that they always used to compete on was coffee. And around this time of the year, we're speaking in January out here on Rinda, and it would always be now that they go, okay, the cheapest coffee is there because people don't have money after Christmas, right? Mm. But that's not, you know, it's not even comparable to what you have in the sacks here in terms of quality, in terms of what they're prepared to pay for it with that in mind with the fact that you're paying maybe a thousand euros for you know 69 kilo set of uh, a sack of coffee before you've even done anything to it how does how do yourself and Mutley make money out here is it is it difficult or are Swedish people prepared to pay that premium for a good product for a top quality product you're right that coffee is that thing that people measure the price when they go into a supermarket. <laughs> in Irish supermarkets, I think it's bananas. Everybody knows the price of bananas, and supermarkets will often sell them at a loss yeah. in order to be perceived as we're a cheap supermarket. Yeah. And here it's, it's coffee. You can get like three packs of coffee for 99 crowns, uh, and it's, it's well below the, the cost of production. So I think it's important to not try to compete on price. Yeah. Uh, and from the beginning, I always said, like, it won't be price that we differentiate ourselves on. Yeah. Uh, it'll be the, the quality of the coffee. We'll buy in the best quality coffee beans that our budget allows. Mm -hmm. We'll do our best with them to roast them in the way that allows them to be the best version of themselves. Mm -hmm. And also in a way that I like to brew them and I like to drink them and just hope that that resonates with enough people. Mm -hmm. And if people drink a little bit less coffee and there's less waste, but they drink the good stuff, I think they'll get more enjoyment out of it. Mm. And they'll understand, if they want to read a little bit about it, that direct trade benefits the growers in a way that the supermarket coffee won't. Mm. And in a way that often fair trade is limited. That what I like about these prices, because the, a lot of this price... I would say like about 79% of this 1,000 uh, thousand thousand euro coffee years. bag yeah. uh, is going to the people who have brought it from origin, so the farmers mm. in, in origin. And I like it. I, I came from a non-profit background or a charity background, mm. and working with coffee like this is a way to transfer some wealth from parts of the world that have more to parts of the world that have less, but in a way that's not charity. It's yeah, yeah. full of dignity. These people have amazing climates and amazing soil that allows them to grow amazing products that well, we really want. It's paying them for their work as well, you know? Yeah. And so there's a model, like a price model. I look at the price that I pay per kilo for this raw or this green coffee. Uh, and generally, you know, between my, my thumb and my forefinger, as they'd say in Swedish, uh, <laughs> I'll charge double that for wholesale yeah. uh, to cover the, the rent of the roastery mm -hmm. uh, and the shrinkage because you lose about 10 or 11% as you roast it uh, in, in water content, uh, the cost of packaging, uh, 
the cost of gas and all of that. Yeah. Uh, Mortley's wages, this kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it took a while. The first two and a half years, it was running at a loss because there was just not the scale there. Mm-hmm. But we were building up our, our story, building up our, our product, building up some customers. Then in the third year, it started to break even. And now, you know, the last couple of years, there's been enough to pay a little salary for yeah. Motley. <laughs> exactly. I would just say the heads of marketing are not cheap, you know, if you're going to get them, you know. And last year was a bit tougher. So 2022, um, prices for coffee went up quite a lot. And mm. I was much slower to increase my prices to the same uh, degree, hoping, I suppose, that it was temporary. Um, These things never are, though, are they? No. Uh, and also just not wanting to increase my prices to that same degree. Yeah. But in the end, it was inevitable. So margins were a little bit tougher this year. Uh, so there's yeah, there's no pay rises for us this year. But you always you always seem very relaxed about this, and I don't know if this has to do with the fact that you're doing something that you love, and that you know it's more important to you to get up every morning and do something that you feel is meaningful than it is you know to buy a castle in Vaxholm and live there with Mudley kind of thing. You know, is that, do you do you get that sort of financial stress? Do you find yourself tossing and turning at night because you're running a business and you have rent to pay and that kind of thing? Yes. <laughs> yes, I certainly do. I don't drink coffee before I go to bed because of it. Yeah, no, it is worrying. Um, I don't have a lot of bank loans, mm-hmm. so I financed the startup by selling my apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and only recently now have applied for a bank loan to employ a colleague for the first time mm-hmm. at half time. And I think then when it's more than me that is is being taken care of by the company, then I think it will get even more worrying. Mm. Um, but the ambition is not to have a, a castle, mm. uh, but it would be nice if, you know, things just tick over, tick over the cost and then there's, there's enough to live on as well. Yeah. I have no children. I think that also makes it a little bit more relaxing. Mm. I think if you have small mouths to feed. The, I'm not talking about Motley now, but if you have children and things, that's Tends expensive. focus the mind all right when they're uh-huh. hanging around looking for bits and pieces, you know? It is, for, for any business, the, employing the first person is a big step because now it's you and it's your labour and that kind of thing, and that's fine, right? Mm-hmm. But you employ somebody and then there's all these sort of different uh, taxes that have to be paid and social insurance contributions. It's actually quite expensive to bring somebody in and they have to be paid regardless. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, okay, you can bring somebody in and then they can say, okay, I'm a spadist, there's not enough work for you and let them go again. But it's not sustainable in that way either to get somebody doing it. So it is a big step, all right, you know? Yeah, in Sweden, I, I suppose it's the same in all of Scandinavia that the biggest investment is the human cost. Yeah, yeah. Wages are high and then the taxes on the yeah. employer for that are, are high. So I've held off on that for as long as I can. Yeah. But I felt like last year now I've reached that limit of this. I've got to the point of diminishing returns. I can't do much more or grow the company much more on yeah. my own. Yeah. So I need, I need some help. And hopefully that extra pair of boots on the ground will deliver some more growth, which allows us to breathe a little bit more easily. Mm. But you never it'll, know. It'll pay for itself. Yeah. Right, you mentioned there the whole brewing process and how you like to brew your coffee and everything else like that. So I'm now going to get you to explain to us all how we've been doing it all wrong all these years. What, where do you make your coffee here um, in the roastery when you're having a cup at you know, 11 o'clock in the morning? I'll put the kettle on. Do that, do that. And So this is a, it's a very fancy looking kettle, but it's a kettle all the same, right? It, it heats water. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing more complicated than that. Uh, I'm taking out a scales here, which might surprise you. A branded scales, no less, which is very posh looking. Yeah. 
Uh, and nobody's been doing anything wrong all the years. <laughs> if they like the results... The, then that's good. Then they're doing something right. Mm. I always say, like, the best coffee is the coffee that you enjoy drinking. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to do a pour-over or a hand-brew. There's a few different names. Yeah. And it's kind of like an old style of coffee brewing that has come back into fashion. Mm-hmm. But basically, it's a jug and a funnel on top, which will hold a paper filter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to wet the paper filter. Okay. Can we ask you why you're doing that, sir? Yeah. Paper has a small but detectable taste. Okay. And when you have light roasted coffee, the flavors are very delicate. And yeah. sometimes you can detect a little bit of, of papery taste in there. Okay. Uh, but it also has the function because I'm doing it over the, the jug. It'll just preheat the jug yeah. a little bit. Super. So that's been wet, that has been preheated. I'm now going to weigh out some coffee and, yep. and I'm going to grind that. And I think the coffee that I'm going to brew today might be a Kenyan coffee since it was my rabbit hole coffee all those years ago. That was where you started from. It might be as well. Now I notice now that you're opening up basically, uh, these are the beans that you have in here. This is not sort of already ground, you don't do that kind of thing. No, I think it's nice to grind the coffee just before you brew it. Mm-hmm. So I'm measuring out here just over 30 grams of coffee because I'm going to brew a half liter. Yep. I think that 31 grams of coffee for a half liter is a really nice ratio. Th- 31 grams, not 30 or 29 or 32. <laughs> through, through trial and error, that's what I've, I've come out with. Grams. It's going to sound a little bit now while I grind these. Yeah, go ahead. So I've ground this coffee now. Yeah. Oh, there's a lovely fresh smell off that. And uh, you can see the, the size of it, it's, it's a little bit like, like sand. Yeah, yeah. It's not as fine as you would get maybe in the, the supermarket. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to weigh out my 31 grams of, of this. I think the single biggest investment that is worthwhile making in uh, coffee is to get your own grinder and a scales. You reckon, yeah? Because grinder, it just allows you to fine-tune the flavor. If mm. we would brew this and we, we find, oh, this tastes a little bit too sour, mm. well, we can grind it a little bit finer the next time yeah. and it'll cut that out. Okay. Or if we taste and we think it's a little bit on the bitter side, we can adjust the grinder and go a little bit finer yeah. and then it'll taste a bit sweeter. Yeah. So having your own grinder allows you to, to dial in yeah. the, the flavor profile a little bit better. And then a scales... It might sound like you can brew coffee just with your eyes, like two scoops or three scoops. Mm. Um, the amount of water to coffee in the end is about 98% water. Mm. Ah, I don't really know exactly how to explain this, but there's a lot that can go differently when mm. you brew. Uh, and it might not sound like if you pour on 500 grams of water or a half liter of water mm. versus 550, that might not sound like a huge difference, but yeah. it's a 10% difference in a recipe. Yeah. Uh, if you were baking and you put in 10% more flour uh, or 10% less flour in your bread, I think you'd notice the difference yeah, quite yeah. a lot. 
Uh, and the nice thing about doing it on a scale is that you have a number reference, so you can go back to it. If you thought, this tasted great, this is exactly how I want to do it, mm. then it's repeatable. You can do the same thing. Yeah. So now you've gotten it down to zero again, and you're sort of swirling the water. The, the bo- is, it, is that boiling water, or is it just hot water? It's just under boiling. Just under so boiling. So it's about 99 degrees. It is a fancy kettle, you're right. You can adjust the temperature to anything from one degree to... To, well, not one degree, because that would be almost ice. <laughs> whatever the room temperature is, yeah. uh, to 100. And I've just poured on uh, about 50 grams of water, mm-hmm. and I'm waiting 30 seconds just to allow it to, what's called, bloom. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of carbon dioxide kept up in these beans. When you grind it, it releases that carbon dioxide very quickly, mm-hmm. and it starts to bubble. And it's best to just take a step back and allow it to do it. It's degassing so that in the next step, the water can just penetrate the grains. Are they the bubbles that we're seeing on the top of the coffee now? Is that carbon dioxide? Yeah. Yeah. There might be a few other gases in there. I'm not a chemist. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the fresher the coffee, the more it's gonna bubble like this. Okay. There's a lovely smell, uh, which is very hard to get across on a podcast now, but there's a lovely uh, fresh coffee aroma starting to go through the roastery here now. So now the first bloom phase has passed, and I'm just gently pouring on uh, the remaining coffee until I get up to a half a litre. Yeah. And I'm just making sure that I, I wet all the, the grinds in, at the same time. Mm-hmm. I can take a little bit of a break, maybe around 350 grams, so about mm-hmm. two-thirds of the way through. Let it just settle a little bit, and then I can top off the mm-hmm. remaining it's an awful lot different to what I do every morning, which is get up and four scoops of coffee and a whole heap of water and two big mugs. And then I jump in the car and I get in a ferry and come out here and see you. Yeah. So it's, a, it's a, sort of a different process. In certain parts of the world, I think, is it called owl in Ethiopia, where they have like almost a whole ceremony around hand roasting beans in a pan and that kind of thing? Yeah, Ethiopia is interesting. It's one of the few coffee producing countries that also drinks a lot of coffee. It's all right, yeah. A lot of places that we associate with coffee now, coffee was introduced by colonialists. Yeah. Uh, and people who were, at that time, forced to grow it generally, uh, had no interest in drinking it. But coffee uh, originates from Ethiopia, and, so there's a, and they were never colonized. Yeah. And so there's a long history of drinking coffee there, and it spread from Ethiopia to the rest of the world eventually. Yeah. And they have this amazing coffee ceremony where they will roast and grind and pour uh, the coffee uh, in, in a beautiful little ceremony right in front of you. Yeah. As part of everyday life for Ethiopians and also if you manage to visit the Ethiopian hmm. uh, country, then you'd probably be offered this, uh, this at some point. The Ethiopian Mrs. Doyle will be there going, go, go on. on. <laughs> <laughs> so now this, <clears throat> this looks to me, Jack, it's... A little bit more translucent. It's a little bit clearer than the sort of black coffee that I would fire into a mug in the morning. Is that because these beans are so expensive and you're being stingy with them, or is this the way it's supposed to look, so to speak? It's <laughs> it's light roasted coffee. Yeah. So I'm going to pour out a few of these coffee beans. Yeah. Uh, and you can see yeah. these are quite quite light brown almost. Yeah, uh, as compared to some of the dark roasted ones, I'm sure I'm sure are a little bit blacker looking. I have a second brand here at the roastery called Archipelago Coffee. Very good. And these are more everyday 
blends. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't react to them and go, this is weird, this is translucent, <laughs> are you being stingy? Uh, this is just coffee that people are used to, but a little bit better. Yeah. It's still with specialty grade. Uh, and this is one that I have roasted dark. So you'll see when I pour it out, yeah. there's a, a fair difference in the, in the color. And so the difference between me brewing this mm-hmm. and so the liquid that's now collecting in the jar is kind of a, a ruby red, if I hold it up to the light. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you can see that lovely ruby tone there, all right. Yeah. Uh, and that's to do with the, the roast degree. Mm-hmm. If I would take exactly the same ratio, 31 grams of this darker coffee and brew it in exactly the same way, it would look mm-hmm. a little bit more like you would expect. A little bit darker, a little bit a, blacker. Yeah. A very dark brown, almost black... Uh, Black brew. So this is finished brewing now, almost. It should take about three minutes, maybe three and a half to to brew. What do you think of all these sort of barista style things, you know, when people start doing it in the Italian style? Is that something for you or are you sort of much more towards this uh, hand poured uh, variant? I think that since you bring up Italy, Italy has a fantastic coffee culture yeah. and not such a great uh, coffee taste. Because <laughs> that's one of those things that people would look to Italy and go, oh yeah, they know coffee, you know, but... And they've made some fantastic machines, so they're famous for their espresso machines. Yeah, yeah. So they, I guess, invented that. Um, but the coffee in Italy is generally Robusta coffee, yeah. which is easier to grow, it's more bitter, it has double the amount of caffeine compared to Arabica coffee, yeah. uh, but it tastes very, very bitter, and so it's often roasted very, very dark. Yeah. So I think it's a case of coffee as fuel rather mm. than maybe coffee as, as flavor or yeah. enjoyment there, and uh, people get caught up in the atmosphere if you go into a, an espresso bar in yeah, yeah. Italy and you... You stand at the bar and you order, you know, mm-hmm. un café. It's, it's a beautiful environment. These coffee bars look amazing. Mm. Uh, but if you isolate the actual coffee that you're drinking, I think they can do a lot better. Yeah, yeah. And there are some third wave roasters and coffee bars in Italy have applied their, their country's amazing coffee culture mm. with higher quality coffee beans that are often light roasted. And it's a fantastic marriage. Is it, yeah. So... I, and in Sweden, people love their cappuccinos. Yeah. I think any cafe owner will tell you that 90% of what they sell is yeah, cappuccinos. Is cappuccinos. Lattes, yeah. But people do like to brew their own coffee at home. A lot of people have a mocha master, which is basically just the machine version of what I've done. Yeah. Uh, and I like to, to hand brew, or if I have a big crowd, then I'll do a mocha master brew. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. You have a little bit more control yeah. over it when you do it by hand. Uh, but the results are, for most of the time, they're, they're fairly comparable. Let us taste those results, sir, because we have two uh, Muttley and Jack's uh, mugs here. Yeah. Cheers. Slauncha. Slauncha. Before you say anything, I am going to tell you that you'll taste more as this cools. Mm-hmm. So drink it slowly. Okay. But the first thing that strikes you is that maybe the consistency is a little bit more tea-like than coffee that it you It certainly is, yeah. There's that sort of... I don't know, there seems to be levels to this game, you know? And in the, to me, that tastes a little bit like what I would expect, right? So there's, there is that coffee taste to mm-hmm. it. But there's another layer there somewhere that maybe it is to do with that sort of tea-style kind of thing. Um, I'm notorious in my household for not wanting to eat or drink anything that's even remotely cold. 
you know. Mm. So uh, like everything has to be just below boiling point. Like you know, so if the dinner lands on the table and it's been there for two minutes, I'm going to put it in the microwave. You know? Okay. And a similar thing, like cold coffee, actual sort of coffee that has cooled completely, I couldn't go near it. It would make me sick. Like you know. And you'd be <laughs> right to do so 99% of the time. Yeah. Uh, because most coffee that's drunk, if if I go back to this points scale from zero to theoretically a hundred and say that specialty coffee is anything that gets over 80. Mm. The average that's drunk in Sweden is around about 60. Yeah. So that's from the worst supermarket coffee and some dodgy coffee in the office. And most of that needs to be heated up because it masks through the heat what it really tastes like. Yeah. So as it cools down, the flavor of that coffee is revealed and after it's been cooled to room temperature, it's been revealed to taste like muck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Whereas hopefully something that's a bit better quality, as it cools and reveals what flavors exactly. it has, it's something a bit more pleasant. Yeah, it is amazing though, because I do, just as you say that now, it's, it's cooling a little bit, and there is that sort of you know, I suppose when we were growing up, you would have thought when people talk about wine or cheese and different things like that, and you think, nah, that's just garbage, like you know, it's just water, it's just alcohol or whatever. Yeah. But it's not really, you know. And if you do take the time to sort of you know. Let it sit in the tongue and sort of go, right, this is... Because, again, I'm just thinking back to what I drank an hour or two hours ago before I got in the car to meet mm. you. And it's just... Like, the fact that both of them are called coffee is just amazing to me at this point in time. Yeah. It's a bit like beer as well. Yeah. That with a, a dodgy beer, maybe you want it to be super, super cold to mm. mask the fact that it doesn't taste very interesting. Mm. Uh, whereas a craft beer, if it has cooled or warmed up, a little bit often is got a lot of really nice spicy tones. Other things will come out of it, kind of thing. Yeah. Who are your customers here, Jack? I mean, presumably they don't come knocking on the door and say, "Right, uh, you know, give us a, a carton of that or three of those for a hundred crowns," kind of thing. Well, let's see. People do that actually. <laughs> do you get people wandering past? Uh, they're few and far between, but uh, there's usually you know one every other day or so. <laughs> yeah. And do you sell to them then directly? Can you sell stuff to them? Most of what I roast is roasted to order. Yeah. Uh, but I do sometimes have a few things on these shelves here if people just want to yeah. bring a bag home. Uh, but most of the coffee that I sell, about 50% of it is through the web shop. Yeah. And so that's direct to coffee drinkers at home. Yeah. Uh, and then the remaining 50% is divided up between cafes yeah. who will buy big bags so that they'll have it in their in their in their lineup yeah. of what they serve or small bags like this that they'll have on the shelf if people in that cafe want to uh, mm. bring a bag home and then small shops so we're not in too many of the big supermarket chains we're in a couple actually oh yeah yeah uh, with the more everyday brand this yeah. archipelago coffee one um uh, but it's more like these gift shops or florists mm. who want maybe something that people can give away as a present. A little gift basket with a few other bits and pieces and that kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, then a, a few offices get mm. our coffee as their their coffee for their employees. Do they? Yeah. Is that sort of, you know, economically viable or is that one of those things like, you know, where Google provide free food for everybody? It's like, right, let's just give them good stuff and squeeze as much work as possible out of them. I think it's an easy win, actually, for a lot of offices. Yeah. Um, some of the offices, they started off with people who bought their coffee personally and they've said, oh, I can't drink coffee at work anymore. So they start <laughs> to talk to their, their boss. Can we get in some different coffee in our coffee machine? Yeah. Uh, and while the, the cost might be more than uh, 
they're paying at the moment. It's not usually that much more. Yeah. And uh, it's also finite. There's only so much coffee you can drink in a year. And yeah. it's going to cost you 500, 1,000 crowns extra for that year, for that quality. Well, why not go and do it? Like? And even if the cost of, of my coffee, in some cases, might be 50% more yeah. uh, to an office, if you look at it per cup, I mean, maybe it's costing them nine crowns per cup instead of six crowns per yeah. cup. Uh, and in terms of the things you can do to make your employees that little bit happier, I think it's an easy enough thing to do at a low enough extra cost. Yeah, yeah. And coffee is so important. Uh, the only thing I, I was talking with somebody recently is that you bond with your colleagues often about how bad the office coffee is. <laughs> and I, I'm a bit worried about taking that away from people. But equally, you could bond with them over how good it is in a certain place. I'm, I'm you know? hoping And the other thing is that's on the rise at the moment is what they call employer branding. So if you're the employer and you, know, you have a sort of a competitor out there and they're just as good as you are, but you have better coffee, I know who I'm going to work for. You know? mm. um, when it comes to Muttley's plans for world domination, how do people find out about you? How, does, how do you plan to grow the company through marketing? Is it word of mouth? Is it people who've tested your coffee in, in a speciality cafe downtown? Is it the web show? Like, how do you plan to take over? The thing that I like least about my work is getting out there and being salesy. I know, it took me ages to get hold of you. <laughs> I have a good product, and I've always thought if I just focus on doing a product that I personally like and I can stand behind that I think is good, uh, and it resonates with enough people, it's like rings on the water that eventually it'll reach enough people. Yeah. So I'd say 99% of the customers I have is through word of mouth. Mm. Uh, but it is good to invest a little bit in sales. So mm. that colleague that I mentioned earlier that I hope to have mm. within you know, a couple of weeks or a couple of months, uh, their focus will be on doing the sales part. Yeah. I love roasting the coffee. I love watching people drink it. Yeah. Uh, I love getting the feedback about it. Uh, and I just don't love the going out knocking on doors. So it's great when people hear about it through word of mouth. Yeah. Uh, but I think it would be nice to have a colleague who just really loves to get out and, and sell. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of people, a bunch of Irish people in Sweden listening to this. Where can they get your coffee? What's the best way for them to get their hands on it? Because there's people from Luleå in the north to Malmö in the south. Yeah. So. We sell a lot to Norland, actually. Do you? Uh, so the, the biggest market, when I look at the stats on the website, is in the Stockholm area. Yeah. Uh, and after that, it is up in, uh, in Norland. Uh, maybe because it's a long way for people to their nearest good cafe or good roastery up there. But they have good roasters all the way up from from Lycksele down to Malmö. Sweden is is blessed with lots of great specialty roasters. But whether it's Muttley & Jack's or any roaster that you want to try, I think the best place is to go and order it from their website. Mm -hmm. You'll get it freshly roasted uh, and you'll... Yeah, you'll get it fairly quickly as well. Mm. But if you want to go and have somebody brew it for you, well, we have a few cafes that we work with. Mm. Most of them are in Stockholm. Some of them are around the country. Some of them are around Europe. Uh, And there's a list of that on the website as well. So you can go and you can... Where where can people find the website? What's the URL for the website? Muttleyandjacks.com And is there Instagram and that kind of thing? Is there... Does Muttley put up pictures there regularly? Not as regularly. Because... (laughs) We're only two, and one of us here is a dog. Uh, <laughs> it limits your ability to post on social media. 
don't take a huge amount of photos during the, the average working day, yeah. uh, despite me trying to train him up. <laughs> and I think people have a certain, you know, there's a limit for the amount of cute Boston Terrier dog photos yeah. that you can put well, He, he well. strikes me as more of an ideas dog than, than a doer, really, yeah. uh, if I've witnessed anything this morning. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Jack, it's been an absolute pleasure. Now, before the rest of this coffee goes cold, I've got to have another cup. We'll put as many people in touch with you as possible. But for now, thanks very much for talking to me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for coming. Rich, does this have non-fat milk? Um, I, I don't know. Why don't you taste it? Mm. No. Oh, well, too late. Sorry, I already had some. <laughs> There you go. That was perhaps the most famous cafe in the world for people of a certain generation. That was from Central Park and the TV show Friends uh, and Rachel doing her waitressing thing there, which is kind of hilarious back in the day. An awful lot better service from Jack, I have to say, even if it's not a cafe. It's a cafe, uh, coffee roastery he's running. But uh, it was a magnificent uh, little morning out there that we had having a chat and having a lovely drink of coffee and that. And it is. It's, it's just different level when you get involved in that. So, yeah, do get in touch with, uh, with Jack muttleyandjack.com muttley with two t's m-u-t-t-l-e-y a-n-d-j-a-c-k dot com and you'll find everything out there about what he's doing and what he's up to and lovely pictures of the dog and the whole lot so I do suggest that if you can get in touch and maybe order some stuff and especially if you're in catering and that kind of thing it might be very good you know I don't know if Marjorie Sundstrom is listening there and she might like some very exclusive and very pleasant coffee there altogether because uh, the Swedish people do they love their coffee altogether you know anyway as mentioned several times in this podcast and it will be mentioned again now this is a community supported podcast it exists bef- uh, because you exist so if you can support it swish 123242166 that's 123242466 or preferably patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm. Right about now on patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm, you'll get all these podcasts. You'll get the Irish and Sweden podcast. You'll get the Global Gale podcast. You'll get the episodes of the Premier Swedes podcast that I was doing uh, when I was down in Gothenburg there recently. And you'll get everything that pops up on that. And I'm starting to write a little bit more on there as well. Right, So the more people that, uh, that can sign up there, the better. If you can't, doesn't matter. Uh, money should never be an object to enjoying the content and feeling like part of our community, both in Sweden and global. So I'm, I'll always put it out there for free, but I'm dependent on people who have the few bob down to say, yeah, I'm happy enough to support you for a five and a month or for whatever you can afford. And I'm very grateful for that. Lastly, I did mention a couple of times that I was down in Gothenburg uh, last over the early part of this week. So probably the week before you're listening to this, right? And there's a lad after moving down there called Anthony Morrissey. So I, I met up with Anthony. Um, he's from Cork originally and grew up a lot in Wicklow and then moved back down worked a lot with Munster Rugby and he moved over here a few months ago himself and his wife and they have their second child on the way or the second child's actually born now that kind of thing but an absolutely amazing fella fantastic fella full of energy and full of creativity and full of ideas and that kind of thing um so if you happen to hear of anything, he was working for Monster Rugby in the area of sponsorship and events and that kind of thing as well, you know. So if you happen to hear of anything down in Gothenburg, get in touch with me uh, or find Anthony Morrissey on LinkedIn. If he happens to reach out a hand, you know, do your best to help me out here because this is, as I say, this is going to be a wonderful guy who's dedicated to living here now. He's decided that this is where his future is. His wife is from here and that. So if we can help him to get established, if we've any, even any little bit of work at all, you know, if Tom Chamney is listening down to restaurants down there, Ronan Morgan down 
down in one of the pubs or or if Ian Maloney needs somebody to, to carry his tripods and that kind of thing when he's taking pictures get in touch lads because that's what we need to do we need to look after one another we said week in week out on this podcast so if you can help Anthony out stretch out a hand to me and I shall put you in touch because he's a wonderful fella altogether and we sat and we talked about sport and loads of different you know people we knew and games we'd seen and everything and the time flew by and I ended up Jesus I ended up having to work half the night because I missed out most of it but I, I wouldn't have it any other way it was fantastic crack altogether listen we're over the hour mark again so uh, I shall let you go and uh, we will be back again in the very near future again I would uh, I'd say if there are women out there in the community who are who want to come on the podcast or have something to say please do get in touch don't be shy I'm doing my best to identify people and I know that sometimes they don't want to go on and that kind of thing because as I say you'll always get the lads on the women don't but you know there's always a seat open for you and a microphone here with your name on it if you want to come on and talk about what you're doing in the community or your business or your studies or your sport or whatever you happen to be up to at all right uh, let that be it for this week take care of yourselves take care of one another and I'll be back again next week with another episode of the Irish in Sweden podcast good luck good <laughs> luck